We know that scripture says that God is love, but in the midst of suffering, it can be incredibly difficult for us to trust that. After all, how could a loving God allow so much pain and hardship? Maybe the issue isn't so much with God, but with our own understanding. After all, we might know that God is love, but do we even know what love is? Today's guest, Kim, knows a thing or two about what love is. Because after some substantial tragedies in her life, God invited her to spend 14 months going through the different love is's and love is not's in 1 Corinthians 13. This profound journey not only taught her more about love, but about who God is, who she is, and how God has equipped us to navigate the suffering in our lives. You're listening to episode 144 of the Where Did You See God podcast. Father God, I just want to thank you that you are God and you are good. And I do just thank you for this opportunity for Kim and I to connect and to talk about you and talk about your love. And we're just confident that you can do amazing things through this conversation. So anything that we're bringing to the table, we just release it to you. I want to just invite you to guide our words and our thoughts and take this conversation wherever it is that you know it needs to go. We just want to thank you in advance for how you can work through such spaces. So. We give it to you, we thank you for it, and we look forward to seeing how you can be glorified through this. I pray in his holy name. Amen. Amen, 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 amen. So Kim, I'm just really glad to have this conversation. And just the little bit I know about you, I just feel like there's a lot, a lot, a lot that we could talk about. You know, we probably won't even be able to capture all of it in this conversation, but that's why I love how God can guide this. And before we get going, what would you want people to know about who you are as we start this conversation? Well, I am a child of God. I love all people. I'm an entrepreneur. I run a nonprofit. I've written a couple books. I dedicated a year to figuring out the truth about love. I'm a mother of five, grandmother of 11, and have lots of friends. And that's who I am. You know, that's one of the things that I'm most intrigued about is this year that you committed to discovering love. But That wasn't just an academic study. That wasn't just a casual thing because, you know, I'm doing the season focused on sitting and suffering and you had navigated some suffering. So tell me a bit about your story, Kim. Like, What led you to want to dive into this idea of love? Well, a few years ago, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. And four months later, my husband was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and he passed away six weeks later. And I had a great marriage. He was a wonderful man. He was the guy that got up at five o'clock every morning and was on his face before God. He had a devotional and the Bible, and he just chased God. His whole life, he just chased God. And so he was such a faithful, incredible man. And I found myself in this position where I loved him so much, and now he's gone. Mm -hmm. And we'd planned on being that old couple in rockers on the front porch drinking lemonade in our Mm -hmm. 90s. And so now it's this whole new thing. And I wasn't sure what life was going to bring. I just started questioning a few different things. But the biggest thing I questioned was love. It seems to be this mystery, right? Like we think we know what it is, Mm -hmm. might even say we know what it is, but there's mystery surrounding love. And 
I just think that there's so many things that are called love that are not, and so many things done in the name of love that are not love. And so I wanted to find out for myself, I wanted to figure out what is love really? What is it? So I decided to go on this year-long quest to search for it. So I took 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient, love is kind, does not envy, does not boast, etc., and decided I would take one word a month and figure out what is love that is patient? What is love that is kind? And the majority of the time that I was working on it, I was in Haiti. Because one thing that I found is the best way to heal is through service. Mm. If you can go serve other people, your healing is going to happen a lot faster. And it certainly did for me. But so I was in Haiti, which kind of added to things. But I found things that I've never heard before from a pulpit, from my parents, from a teacher, from anyone. And it changed my life. It rocked my world. Mm -hmm. And I just know that everybody needs to know what God showed me. That's really powerful. And it's funny, you know, it's a passage that many people, even if they aren't Christians, have heard. I mean, it's the classic wedding passage. All of us think we know it. And God said, oh, you think you know it. I want to invite you to spend a whole year just in this one passage, not a whole year through the Bible, the whole year in just one passage. And I imagine in all of that, you didn't come away saying, oh, I perfectly understand love. I have it all packaged in. I imagine that as you dove in deeper, you saw how much deeper it could go. But how did that change your understanding of God's love? Because it's one thing for us to understand our love, but if God is love, how did this impact your understanding of who God is? Well, that's the thing, right? God is love. You know, John said, God is love. Not that God loves, but that God is love. So love is something you can be, something that you are, something that is walking and talking and living and giving and breathing. It's not an emotion like fear or excitement. It embodies you. It's, it's who you can be to others. So what does that even look like? How does that translate? I learned that love is just not. So there's Ed Sheeran, there's Nicholas Sparks writing all these beautiful things about this romantic love. And you hear the word love and right away it goes to your spouse or you think about couples, you think about being in love. And love is so much more than that. And it's for everyone. And God's love, for him to love the way he does and my new understanding of love If we are to live that love, that's the closest we can come to living the way God wants us to live. Mm -hmm. You know, there was a whole WWJD thing, right? But Jesus is different to everybody. He's not the same. Like to some, he's a heretic or a prophet. But even in the Christian realm, some people think of God as the rock of judgment, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever. Jesus tipping over tables. And others think of him as peace and love and everything good and wonderful. So answering the question... What would Jesus do? Could be different for different people. Mm. But if you answer the question, WWLD, what would love do? Love is pretty universal. And when you understand love and answer that question that way about anything, you're going to make great choices and you're going to go the right way and you're going to do the things that you should be doing. So what was one of the most unexpected or convicting things that you learned in the course of this year about love? Something that you're like, oh, I thought love was this way and God just totally rocked my world. Oh my gosh, there's so many. (laughs) 
First of all, though, there are 14 is's and isn'ts of love. So it took me a little bit longer than a year. Mm. And I started out thinking I knew what it was because they all seem so simple, right? Patience. We know what patience is. Kind. We, of course, we're kind. You know, we know those things. But I ended up figuring out that you put love is or love is not in front of any word. And it totally changes the definition. Mm. So there were a few that were pretty challenging. One that I dreaded doing Mm. was love doesn't keep a record of wrongs. Mm. Because we might forgive people, but we don't forget the things that happen to us. And so how does love not keep a record of wrongs? You know, we don't want to be around those people anymore if they've wronged us. You know, we don't have great feelings about them. So how does this even play out? And that month I got a phone call from a pastor in the U.S. He was interested in a water project that I was working on in Haiti and wanted to bring some men over to take a look and see the project, see if they wanted to be involved. He asked if I would go with them and show them. I said, sure. And so we brought along two Haitian friends to translate and they knew the project inside and out. And we drove out into the countryside because their church denomination arranged for a place for us to stay. We drove out, we got there, and behind the cement wall, which is very typical in Haiti, was this very small building with two rooms. And each room had four twin-size beds. There were eight American men, two Haitian men and me. So the guy that was the head of the eight American men said, hey, Kim, can I talk to you? I'm like, sure. And he said, did you see the rooms? And I'm thinking, buddy, there's nothing else to see here. I mean, this is a small place. And then I thought, oh, he's asking me because he's going to think I want my own room. Mm. So I'm going to say, well, that's okay. I'll sleep outside. And he'll say, oh, no, no, no. If anyone should sleep inside, it should be you. And then I'll say, well, I don't care if there's other people in my room. And he'll say, good, because there's only so much room. And we'd be all set. So I said, it's okay. I'll sleep outside. And he said, good, good. Because we have men on this trip that would not be comfortable with a woman in their room. Mm. And I was like, holy cow, what did I just do? And how is this even happening? And would my sons have the same reaction? Like, I would think not. I hope not. Mm -hmm. But I said I would. So I had to figure it out. So there was this piece of plywood that was held up by two kind of wooden structures. And I thought, well, if I'm under there, at least if it rains, I won't get wet. So we did bring along an air mattress. But I was afraid because there are tarantulas Mm -hmm. and there are snakes. And there are chupacabras or whatever it is lurking in the bushes, right? So I was so afraid that I would get attacked in the middle of the night, that I'd get bitten, dismembered, something, I don't know. So I went to bed and the air mattress held air for about an hour and then I was sleeping on gravel. And it was so loud because dogs were barking and horns were honking. Finally, that died down after midnight sometime. And then 2 a.m. or so, voodoo drums started in the distance. That went for a couple hours, and then finally that ended, and then finally I was able to get some sleep. So the first night came and went with no incident. Second night, same thing. The ears out of the air mattress, the dogs, the horns, the voodoo drums, finally I'm sleeping. And I woke up because there was something on my leg. No, no. And I thought, oh, my word, what can it be? Lord Jesus, do they have the anti-venom to whatever it is that is about to bite me? Can they airlift me to Miami in time before I lose my leg? Like, what is going to happen? And so I slowly lifted my head, 
and I slowly opened my eyes and it was a chicken. <laughs> there was a dang chicken on my leg. And I didn't know whether to be mad because it woke me up from the little bit of sleep I was getting or happy that it wasn't something worse. Well, the third night, same thing, went to bed, no incident, everything was fine. Fourth night, no ear in the air mattress, the dogs, the horns, the voodoo drums, finally sleeping. And again, I woke up because there was something on my leg. And again, I was scared to death. And again, I slowly lifted my head and slowly opened my eyes. And again, it was the dang chicken. <laughs> and again, I didn't know whether to be happy or mad. Uh, I shooed it away. And the good news is that night, we had chicken for dinner. So my fifth night was very uneventful. <laughs> All was well. Uh, and you know, I'll tell you, Paul, at first I was bitter. Mm-hmm. I was thinking, who are these guys? Thinking it's okay. And not one of them, not one of those eight men stood up and said, oh my gosh, shouldn't Kim sleep inside? Not one. And in Haiti, it's so hot that the only thing you do when you go to bed is sleep. You're not hanging out in the room because it is hot in there. And I'm thinking, well, what can happen in the middle of the night that this would be the situation? And so I thought, who are these guys? And what are they thinking? I was angry. And then I went, oh, love doesn't keep a record of wrongs. And then I finally realized what it meant after searching for it for an entire month. So I'll never forget that time because it was pretty intense, right? I'm not going to forget that time. But the story changes in that the narrative changes. You know, bitterness only hurts us. We all know that. The people you're mad at typically don't even know you're mad at them. And so it's only going to do me damage. Mm -hmm. And the narrative changed in that instead of being angry and bitter at these guys, now it's just this funny thing that happened to me and I could literally sleep anywhere in the world and be perfectly comfortable. Mm -hmm. And so it changed the tone of the story. Love changed the tone of the story. Mm -hmm. So yes, you don't forget, but you also don't harbor ill will. You don't want vengeance. You don't want anything because you can change the story because you change the narrative. You change the tone. Mm -hmm. And that is love that doesn't keep record of wrongs. Yeah. I love that phrase, love changes the tone of the story, particularly in this idea of suffering, because you were going through cancer, which is traumatic enough. And then a loved one, your husband, is going through cancer. So that's doubly traumatic. And then he passes as a result of it. And so you have this deep loss. Plus, in addition, he was faithfully seeking God. And if we have this understanding of God that you described before, that God is cruel or God is harsh, it's like, well, what in the world, God? He was seeking you and you took him away. So you could have had all these feelings in the midst of your suffering. And then God invites you to spend over a year focusing on love. How did love change the tone of your understanding of suffering? You know, I really believe that anything that happens to us in life, bad, good, whatever it happens to be. It's not so much the event, but how we respond to it. And it's interesting because right after I was diagnosed, people would say to me, why you? Oh, my word. You know, you do this, you give, you volunteer, you whatever. And my response was always, well, why not me? Cancer can touch anybody. I don't believe that God's in heaven going, oh, my word. I saw you steal that pack of gum. Two years from now, you're getting cancer. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I don't think it works that way. It just is something to deal with in the world. We have diseases, we have cancer, and fortunately, we have cancer researchers. And 
we're making strides, but it is what it is. I mean, we are where we are. So then when my husband was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, which there is no cure for, at such a young age, I was 47 years old. He was so young and to be diagnosed, the doctor said, well, if you live a year with pancreatic cancer, that's a victory. Mm-hmm. And so hopefully you'll live longer. You're young, you're healthy. He was six foot three and 175 pounds. He was fit. This is what we were dealt with. And when we walked out of the doctor's office after getting that diagnosis, we decided that we would pray or either heal him like you did, the deaf, the blind, the lame, or the ultimate healing that I think sometimes we forget, heaven. Mm-hmm. Heaven's the ultimate healing, right? But don't let him suffer. Please, Lord, don't let him suffer. And I'll tell you what, we had no idea that it was only going to be six weeks. Mm-hmm. No idea at all that that's all it was going to be. And we had a great six weeks together. And he did not suffer until the very last hour or so of his life. He did not suffer. God honored that. And it's the grace of God, the absolute beautiful, wonderful grace of God that it was only six weeks Hmm. and that he didn't suffer. Hmm. For God to love us that deeply (laughs) means he loves everybody else that deeply too. And I could never begrudge my husband because he was such a faithful guy. I couldn't be angry that he's gone. He won. He won the prize Mm -hmm. way earlier than I wanted him to, Mm -hmm. but he won. So I'm happy for him, sad for me, happy for him. But meanwhile, I get to choose how I'm going to live. I had no choice. The cancer, you don't get that choice. There's so many things we don't get to choose in life, right? Mm -hmm. Diseases, your daughter not feeling well, your cat getting older, you know, things that we don't choose, but the things that we can choose, we should choose the right way. You can choose to laugh again. You can choose to have joy. You can choose to serve. You can choose to work and be happy. You can choose those things. So that's something that I found just very healing is knowing that I do have some control over some things and the things that I have control over, I'm going to seize it. I'm going to take that control. You know, so in this, we're talking about two pieces, our invitation to love, but the deeper piece that God is love. Something that people have struggled with as long as people have struggled is the question of how in the world can God be loving and suffering exist? How in the world can God be loving and he lets me endure this thing? And so when you hear people asking that kind of a question, how do you understand that more deeply now after spending so much time exploring love? Something that I learned about love is love is not a two-way street. You know, so often in marriage counseling or in relationships in general, but especially in marriage counseling, it's like, oh, love is give and take. Love is a two-way. You both have to love. That's just not true. It's just not true. Love is on you. Love is up to you, period. As soon as you love to get love back, that's a transaction. That's like I give you money and you give me a pair of jeans. Love is not a transaction. Love is up to you, period. No matter what other people are doing, we have no control over anybody but ourselves. Nobody. I mean, any parent out there, you recognize that that's true because when your child starts crawling at six, seven months old and all the Tupperware comes out of the cupboards and the Mm -hmm. pans are all getting out of the cupboards, 
you realize that you have lost control and guess what? You never get it back again. Mm -hmm. We don't control anyone but ourselves. And so love is one way. So with God loving us, he doesn't love us to get us to love him back. It's certainly a natural reaction to love back when you're being loved, but it's not why you do it. God isn't loving us as a transaction so that we'll love him back. But in love, there's this incredible freedom. When you know that all you have to do is love, that's your job, is to love, that's all you have to do, then all judgment goes away, mm -hmm. all condemnation. There's no room for discrimination, racism. There's no room for any of that because all you have to do is love and you allow people to be who they're created to be, mm -hmm. who they believe they're created to be. You don't question. You let them be who they're created to be and you be who you're created to be. So God in his love, it's the same thing. He loves us not because we love him, but he loves us, period. And he wants us to live who we're created to be. He's given us this freedom to live the life that we choose to live. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you make some good decisions, you make some bad decisions, you learn along the way. Mm -hmm. And some people choose different paths, different lives. That's up to them. But we have this freedom. So with this freedom comes things like war, unfortunately, right? Comes things like murder, other heinous crimes and disease, and it's all part of it. And it's not, again, what happens to us, but how we react to it. Mm -hmm. How do we deal with it? What is it going to do in our lives? Is it going to tear us down and break us down? Or do we go, no, what can I learn from this? And how can I go on? And how can I help others? Mm -hmm. Because now I've been through something that other people haven't been through. So how can I help other people who are going through it? What can I do to love people, just love people? Mm -hmm. And I think that's how God looks at us too. Yeah. Yeah. And you mentioned something really important earlier when you were talking about how you and your husband began to pray and seek God when you learned of his diagnosis. And you were praying that, hey, it would be great if you did this kind of healing, you know, his body gets healed. But we're also aware that there is a greater healing, an ultimate healing where we shed this body that's going to fade away eventually anyway, <laughs> even if it's healed today, for something eternal. And I think it's this short-sightedness that gets us in trouble is when we look at God and we look at suffering and we can't see any way that this could be good, any way that this could be redemptive, any way that God could allow it, because we just can't fully grasp God. And I see the same thing all the time with my kids, how often they have assumed that I don't love them because I didn't give them candy or because I sent them to bed early or because, you know, one of the stories I share often is when my son, you know, cut his head open and had to get stitches put in and he was freaking out that his parents would let something so awful happen to him. These strangers standing over him, a bright light, a sheet over his face, a sharp needle, like how in the world is that loving? But any other parent could be in those situations in the same room, hear the kids say, you don't love me. And that parent would be like, oh, no, I know. I know you love your kid, right? Like, because the more mature we get, the more we experience, the more we understand, the more holistically we can see the world. And I think that's what's so beautiful about what God invited you to with your year plus exploring love is it pushed you in deeper. You were no longer going to be able to settle for the broad sweep of, oh, yeah, God loves me. Yeah, First Corinthians 13. Yay, I love it. Like, no, it's like, 
oh, God wants me to not keep a record of wrongs. And oh, God wants me to figure out how he still loves me, even though I just lost the love of my life. Like, ah. And the further we go in that, the more that we mature in this understanding, the more we can see that God actually is love. Whereas years before, we could not have comprehended a way. So, you know, not everybody can hop on a plane, go to Haiti, give a year to exploring love. So how can people, whatever their situation is, even if they're in the busiest season in their life, how can they mature in their understanding of love and God being love? Well, buy my book <laughs> would be a great start. I feel like I did everybody's homework for them. Right. <laughs> you know, I start out each chapter with what I think it is and end each chapter with the story that brings me to the understanding of what it is. And then end each chapter with a prayer and what I determined to do because of what I learned. And one month played on the next, right? So Love is Patient was the very first month. Blew my mind mm. what Love is Patient really is. And then I had to live it. When I was doing love that is kind, because once you know, you can't go backwards. You don't go back. Once you know what love is, it's awful hard to not love that way. Anybody, I guess, can do a deep dive somewhere, wherever they happen to be. Mm -hmm. But to walk it out like I did, you're absolutely right. I mean, most people aren't going to have the money, the whatever, I don't know, whatever it takes, the fortitude, I don't know, to be able to go to a place like Haiti and do what I did. But there's so much to learn. Mm -hmm. It's just so wonderful and just the most incredible, like I said, freedom in loving the right way and mm -hmm. understanding love and loving the right way. And as a parent, of course, you're going to get the kids stitches. That's what you have to do. But you love them and you want to love your kids the right way. You want to love your spouse the right way. And when you understand love, that's what you do. Mm -hmm. That's what you do. You know, I think it's so easy for people to say, especially in the Christian world, it seems we say we love everybody. No. How many times did Jesus tell us that? And he was repeating something that was written in Leviticus. Love people, right? Mm -hmm. It dates way back. It's not like it's some new notion right. when Jesus came to say to love everybody. So Jesus says it a few times. And Jesus is the embodiment of love, right? Jesus is love. God is love. And so knowing that, that we're supposed to just love people. How many times do you hear people say, gosh, you know, I love everybody, but those darn Democrats, mm -hmm. I just can't with them. Or those Baptists, I don't know what they're thinking, not dancing, you know, whatever it happens to be. Well, then you're not loving everybody. Mm -hmm. Then you're putting conditions on your love and love doesn't do that. Love doesn't do that. It doesn't mean you have to like everybody. You don't have to like what people are doing, but Again, that's on them. They're their choices that they're making. Mm -hmm. You don't have to hang with everybody. You don't have to go out to coffee with everybody. Loving everybody doesn't mean that your personalities are automatically going to connect. It's not the way it is. We're all different. Mm -hmm. We're all different. So there might even be people that you don't like that much, but you can still love them mm -hmm. if you understand what love really is. Yeah, it pushes us into this reality that you can't really fully grasp love if it's always in the safe and easy spaces. Because there's that scripture that talks about how, what does it profit you if you're loving somebody that loves you? But if you're loving those that persecute you, 
you know, Jesus loved his enemies as they were actively persecuting him. He understood that his invitation to love wasn't based on what they did or didn't do to him. His invitation to love, as you noted before, is to love, period, boom, done. There's two really important things that you noted. One, as you mentioned with your book, like you did the homework. So there is this value that we need to recognize in the stories of others, in conversations like we're having, in sitting down with a friend who's gone through a situation. God has given us this gift of community in part so that we can hear the stories and experiences of others and learn through those stories. But the other thing that you noted and has been implied throughout this conversation is we are prone to do a broad sweep of love. But sometimes God might be inviting us to step back and, hey, let's take one of these 14 little nuggets and press into that. I love that that's what you had to experience. Okay, let's let's start with patience. Don't worry about the other stuff yet. Just focus on patience because it's going to take a month for you to really get into this patience. And then you step into the next thing. And when I think about this idea of how we understand love in the midst of suffering, maybe there's an invitation for us in that as well. God is love. And right now I'm going through this awful thing and I can't understand how God could be loving. If I'm just doing the broad sweep and I don't even fully understand what love is, yeah, that's going to be a hard pill to swallow if possible at all. But if I can stop and say, okay, how is God exhibiting patience in the midst of what situation I'm going through? It might allow us to actually see God in the midst. And then we get the bonus invitation of, and if I'm made in the image of God, how might I exhibit patience in the midst of my suffering when I really don't want to right now? And so I love this invitation to step back and break apart the pieces. We talked about what was one of the most convicting pieces. What was one of the most joyful pieces of that journey? Oh, gosh, I would say right off the bat, love is patient. I had no idea. I thought I knew what it was. We know what patience is. Mm -hmm. You know, we're not angry because we're ready to go and they're not ready to go, you know, where the kids can't find their shoes. You know, that's being patient. But love that is patient is so different than that. Love that is patient changed my life in so many ways. So love that is patient would say that this moment right here, right now is the most important moment of your life. What's in the past is in the past, and what's in the future is yet to come. This is the moment. This, by the way, is a moment that's going to come and go with or without you. And when you're in conversation with somebody, but your mind is in eight different places, which I was the queen of, by the way. Like, this has taken me a lot of practice because I would be thinking about a meeting I had later, picking a kid up from a soccer practice, what I was going to make for dinner, some meeting I had that morning and think that I'm fully engaged in conversation. And it's just not true. Mm -hmm. To give your whole self, your whole being to this moment, to be right here, present right here, right now, here in this moment, it takes some practice, but it changes your life because you hear things you never would have heard. Mm -hmm. Instead of assuming what you think the person's gonna say, or having your rebuttal ready to go as soon as they say it, mm -hmm. you listen, you listen. And when you listen, you hear, you really hear. And it sounds so simple, but it's the truth. It's the truth. It is that simple, 
but we don't do it. Mm -hmm. It's so easy to not do it. It's easy to go, oh gosh, I'm in a hurry. Or I remember my word, one of my sons, Luke, he would just stand and poke my arm and poke my arm and poke my arm (laughs) and go, mom, 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 mom. I could be on the phone. I could be wherever. And it's mom, mom, mom. I think I had a permanent bruise on my arm when he was growing up. I realize now that I was not showing love to his patient. Mm -hmm. I just wanted him to stop poking my arm. Mm But had I just turned to him and faced him and given him my full attention in the moment, he probably would have said something about, look at this yellow truck and then run away. (laughs) Right? Right. I mean, because that's what kids do. But they're pulling on your leg while you're cooking and you're trying to shoo them away. Well, give them the moment. There's nothing more important in life than relationship. There's nothing more important than people. The chocolate souffle is not as important as the person sitting across the table from you sharing the chocolate souffle. Mm -hmm. So be in the moment, be fully engaged and listen. Listen, you might learn something. Mm -hmm. It's amazing when you just listen. And listening with love, realizing it's not your job to fix somebody. You're not going to fix them. You don't have any control over them. Mm -hmm. People don't like unsolicited advice. They are who they are. But to gain a better understanding of who they are, you have to really listen. You have to be in the moment. And that is love that is patient. Yeah. You know, it's interesting when you were talking about the kids poking. And when you were talking earlier about how when kid needs stitches, like our desire is to love our kids. I had two thoughts in my mind. The first was, yes, I want to love my kids. And then the second was, but in our humanity, in our imperfection, As parents, we don't always love our kids well. That's one thing that separates me from God as a good father is he loves perfectly. And in my humanity, I can have moments like my sick child coming and wanting all of my attention and me being like, well, I've already lost so many days to caring for sick kids and I've got to get this done. And and so I think there can be people who hear all this about love and think about all the ways that they don't love well or all the reasons that they can't love well. Or I am in the midst of suffering and I don't have any capacity or strength left even to care for myself, much less someone else. And so we can convince ourselves of the lie that we are incapable of exhibiting love. But God is love and we are made in the image of God. And so what would you say to someone who does not believe that they are capable of loving? I would say, well, first you got to love yourself. You are worthy of love. Mm. You need to know that you are worthy of love. And that starts with loving yourself. I've always thought that, gosh, you know, here we are created in God's image. Think about that. I mean, that's huge, right? We're created in God's image and he loves us no matter what we do or say or whatever. He loves us, period. So if he loves us, why would we not love ourselves? That's like saying, oh my gosh, I worked so hard. I made this apple pie. I made it and I peeled the apples. I picked the apples from the tree. I grew the tree that made the apples to make the apple pie. I did it all. And then I give it to you and you go, man, this is the worst apple pie I've ever had. Mm. Well, it's really the same thing. We recognize, we believe, we know that we're created in God's image. God created each one of us so uniquely and individually. There's no two of us the same, right? I mean, think about that. That's so incredible. It's just so incredible. So then we're giving back the apple pie if we don't love ourselves. Mm. We're saying, ah, God, you might be good, but you're not good enough to have made me special and unique and worthy of love. So love yourself first. It's got to start there. 
you know, when you were talking about the apple pie and us not liking it, it made me think of an analogy I would use when I would lead internships. And I would do this talk when I would have service groups come in, actually, about expectations. And we try to help them to understand that they may think that they don't have any expectations coming into this service week, but they do. And when you don't understand your expectations, it can influence how you engage with everything. But if you do, it can help you to see more accurately. And the analogy that I would use is I would talk about how, you know, imagine somebody came up to you and they said, hey, I just made some delicious chocolate chip cookies. Would you like one? And you're like, oh my gosh, they're still warm. And you grab it and you bite it and it's an oatmeal raisin cookie. And immediately you hate that cookie with a fiery passion, right? But when I would do this, I would ask, but raise your hands if you actually don't have any issues with oatmeal raisin cookies. And the reality is, is, I actually like oatmeal raisin cookies. But if I think it's chocolate chip and I take a bite, I'm going to hate it. And I think that's what we do so often with ourselves as God's creation. We're assuming it's supposed to be a chocolate chip cookie, but we feel like an oatmeal raisin. <laughs> and we don't realize that God in his wisdom created us exactly as he wanted to create us. And oatmeal raisin cookies, chocolate chip cookies, they're both amazing cookies. But if our expectations are off, then we can hate something that was, as you noted, crafted with love. How do we get to that place then? Because I think if we're honest, when we're sitting and suffering, I think that's actually part of what's going on is we don't actually believe that God loves us or we don't believe that we deserve God's love. And that's why we're in our suffering or that's why God hasn't freed us or I'm in this situation because I'm unworthy. I mean, I've had conversations with so many people that got to the point where they're like, I think it would be better if I wasn't even alive anymore. So particularly when we're in a hard place of sitting and suffering, how can we get a glimpse that we actually are loved deeply by God? I think one of the biggest things is we don't live in suffering. Hmm. We know down deep, even if we can't see it today, we know that this isn't your life forever. We know that if you lose somebody that you love, somebody so close to you, because we've seen other people go through it, right? We know that at first you can't breathe. And at first you want to just cry and you just want to crawl in a hole and you want this over with and find out that it really didn't happen, that you wake up and it was just a dream. You want things to be so different from what they are. It's hard to think, period. Mm -hmm. But you see other people who have gone through it. And you see them six months later, a year later, five years down the road. They haven't forgotten their person. They still love the person that they lost. And they'll always be a part of who you are. They'll always be there, always a part of you. But the pain, that horrible pain that you have at first, subsides. And one thing that I think is so incredible is grief doesn't typically come all at once. It's not just this Mack truck, you get hit, you're roadkill, you are down on the ground and you are flattened for the rest of your life. God's grace comes in and God holds on to us. And when you're going through something, all the more reason to say, Lord, wrap your arms around me, hold me, walk with me. You know, the story about the footsteps in the sand, right? Carry me. God, please carry me. I cannot breathe. I can't go another day. I can't go another minute. I can't imagine what this woman's talking about, that I'm going to feel different in a year or five years or whatever. I'm not going to feel any different. Those are the moments you got to just realize that you're loved and just say, God, I can't. 
I can't do it. I don't know how I can't do it. Please hear me. Please hold me. Please be with me. And God is so faithful to give you what you need. It doesn't mean you're not going to suffer. Of course, you're going to suffer, but you're not suffering alone. So let's say somebody's listening and they're currently in the midst of suffering. Maybe they have a cancer diagnosis or a loved one does, or they've just lost a loved one. If you could say something to them right now, what would you want to say? I would want to say, cry, cry and feel it and go through it, go through the pain. There is a light at the end of the tunnel for sure. It doesn't seem like it right now, but there is, there really is. Life is going to be different. We don't live in the mountaintops and we don't live in the valleys. Go ahead and mourn and cry. It's okay. That's all right. It doesn't mean that you have less faith or you don't believe that God is there with you. None of those things. We're human beings. We suffer. It's part of life, unfortunately. You know, we're all going to lose somebody somewhere in our life or someone we love is going to get a crappy diagnosis or whatever it happens to be. So mourn it. It's okay to feel it. It's okay to cry. Cry when you need to cry. And for everyone who's not suffering, let the people cry. Let people mourn. You know, I'm a widow, right? I hate the word, but I'm a widow. And there's all these statistics about widows. One of them is that 80% of widows leave their church. Mm. 80%. And I think the reason is because you're used to sitting in the same place every Sunday morning, right? With your spouse and the couples that sit around you and you chat with them and whatever. And then you walk in alone. And at first people are pretty sympathetic. Oh gosh, how are you doing? You know, is everything okay? And they're reaching out to you in love, right? And they want to know. But after a little while, they're tired of you not being happy and they're afraid that it's going to rub off on them. So people start to shy away from you. I've got a good friend that lost a child and it's like the whole pew was clear where they would sit every Sunday morning because people didn't want to ask, how are you doing? People didn't want to acknowledge that suffering goes on for a while. So let people mourn and let people suffer and don't stop asking. Don't stop caring. Don't stop reaching out to people. There's going to come a day when the answer is different. When it's, you know what? I finally feel like I can breathe again. I finally feel like I can laugh again. I finally realize I'm not dishonoring the person who passed by laughing, by finding happiness. I'm not dishonoring them. I'm honoring myself and loving myself and allowing myself to do it. But don't stop asking people. And don't stop reaching out and let people take whatever time you need to take. Let yourself take whatever time you need to take. It can be something where you think, no, I should be acting a different way. I should be reacting a different way. There is no path except the one you're on. Every day you've lived leads you to today. So the way you react to things, the way you think about things, your mannerisms, your whatever they happen to be, the way you dress is because of things that have happened in the past that lead you to today, all those days put together. So nobody's grief is the same. You shouldn't ever compare. It's not a contact sport, you know, and you're seeing who's best at it or who's worse at it, right? Everybody should be able to do it the way they do it. Get through things the way they get through things. 
And it's not up to us to say, well, first you got to go through this stage. And then don't skip that stage because, you know, that's not so good. And by the way, six weeks from now, you should be just fine. You should be over it. You never get over it, but you can breathe again. And life comes back to some sort of a new normal and it will be okay. You know, let's say somebody is thinking, oh man, I'm so glad that Kim did all the homework for what love is. How can they connect with you, with your content, your book? Well, my website is loveis.info. I've got information on my website. I've got a 14-day love challenge if anybody wants to do it. If you want to do it and sign up for it, I'll send you a free WWLD wristband. Mm. But Love Is, my book, is available everywhere. It's available through my site. It's on Amazon. It's in bookstores. It's in brick-and-mortar stores and all the online booksellers. Love Is is a pretty simple title. It's a dark blue cover with a great big white Love Is on it. Mm. And so it's easy to find. I'm literally the only Kim Sorrell spelled my way in the entire world. I don't know how many people can say that, but... There are way too many letters in my last name. There's two R's, two E's, two L's. I don't know how it happened. S-O-R-R-E-L-L-E. But if you just look up love is, I should pop up somewhere for you. That's great. And as we close out, is there anything else that God's placing in your heart that you feel like you should share? Love is the answer. The last thing it says after love is patient, love is kind, does not envy, does not boast, always trust all the things, is love never fails. Love never fails. And that's the truth. Love never fails. You will walk, you will run, and dance through the streets, shouting praise to the one. You're healed, you're clean. Go out, tell the people what you've seen. Revived in him, new life in him. First Corinthians 13 says this. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Kim and her husband were striving to love God and love others, and they had a deeply loving marriage. So when cancer and death hit, it could have wrecked not just her understanding of love, 
but her desire to pursue it. But God so loved Kim that he gave her a wild invitation to spend 14 months exploring what love is. Because the reality is that in her deepest moments of suffering, God was love. And in any moments of suffering to come, God will still be love. Because she is made in his image, she has been invited to love as well. And it could be easy for us to love when things are good and when we're feeling confident and comfortable. But the invitation to love exists even in our hardest moments. And the invitation to receive love exists then as well. So when scripture calls us to love God and love others, his expectation is that we'd live out that call in even the hardest of moments. And if we're honest, in the hardest of moments, we do not feel loving and we do not feel worthy of love. And the good news is our ability to receive and exhibit love is not based on our capacity, but our willingness for love himself to work in and through us. God is love for you right now in your hard situation. He loves you and he desires to love through you. The opportunity for you is to choose to trust that and step into it. For some of you, that may seem like an impossibility because the suffering is too intense, but it may just be that love exhibited in that context will be the most beautiful thing you ever see. Today, you can invite God to give you a revelation of love just as he gave Kim, welcoming him to reveal the depths of love in your everyday situations. God is love and love is with you now. So no matter how difficult things get, look for that love and ask yourself, where did you see God? Have you ever wanted to read Revelation but haven't known where to start? Or have you been afraid to read Revelation because of all the ways you've seen it misused? Or maybe you haven't even wanted to touch Revelation but feel like maybe you should since it's part of the Bible? Well, if you're in any of these positions or any other ones, I've got a resource for you. It's called A Journey Through Revelation for the person who doesn't want to read Revelation. And here's the thing. The hope for this resource is that it makes the exploration of who God is and what revelation can mean for you accessible, whatever you believe. And this will not be your normal revelation study. It's not going to dive into the historic representations of the imagery or expertly decipher the prophecies. The goal of this is not to tell you what revelation means. It's to explore what it can mean for you. Now, this thing is available for you right now in a few forms. One, you could go to www.wheredidyouseegod.com revelation, and you can find a PDF for free, which you can read on your phone, on your device, or print out. But if you like something that's a little nicer looking, it is also available through Amazon on Kindle and in paperback form. And I prefer paperback, whether you print it or you get the one on Amazon, because this gives you a place to write some things out because you're going to want a place to write things out. Because I really do believe that God wants to speak to you through Revelation, whatever you feel about Revelation, whatever your experience and whatever you think about God. So if you're interested, get it for free, get it for a very, very, very low price. This is not about making money, but about us together exploring how we can see God in the midst of such a difficult and controversial book. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the Where Did You See God podcast. And I would love for your stories to be a part of it as well. So there are a number of ways that you can do that. You can check out our Facebook page at Where Did You See God podcast. 
You can go to anchor.fm slash where did you see God, or you can leave a brief voice message at 804-372-3836. I would love to hear your stories. And if the stories you've heard have encouraged you, uh, think of someone else who could be encouraged as well and share it with them. The music you've been listening to is You'll Walk, You'll Run by Urban Doxology. They are a solid group and you will love listening to the rest of the music. So check them out. And as always, as you go through your day, ask yourself, where did you see God?